Hello and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast, the Kansas City Royals Podcast in association with Inside the Royals. I am Jake Milham and I have Lucas Murphy and KCSN's Josh Kaiser joining me tonight. First off, Josh, how are you doing tonight, man? Uh, really good. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's it's. I, I wasn't recording with the guys tonight. They had a couple uh, good draft interviews uh, going on tonight, so we only have three guys at a time doing that. So I kind of got the night off, and I was off last week for some family sicknesses. So I f- felt like a little out of touch. So I'm gonna be a little rusty, but I'm working out with you boys. <laughs> there we go. You know what? We are we are always ready for a good old bullpen session down here. Uh-huh. On the- on the rundown it's about all i got in me right now <laughs> <laughs> lucas how are you doing tonight man i'm telling you i'm fired up man i i feel like the angels and the mariners right now <laughs> you know that's exactly the vibe i got uh you know that plus we found out Mahomes is having a boy so it's gonna transition uh you know on uh hopefully that quarterbacking keeps going so I feel pretty solid. Uh, I also started doing CrossFit, eating a little healthier. I feel Ooh. a lot better. So we're, we're doing good over here uh, in the Murphy household. All right. Sounds like a plan. How are you doing, man? Well, I mean, you're over here talking about your hierarchy of dogs with, uh, with, <laughs> with tank, gunner, and ammo, you know, going down in size. So I'm, you know what? I'm all about it, man. We added a new one to the household this weekend, a big old six-month-old uh, Mastiff puppy. Oh wow! And, yeah, so she is already very big, but she is running around. Just the wife and I, we left the office. We were out, like we were out of the living room for about twenty minutes, and we came in, and all the cushions were like on the floor from the couch, and it was just a disarray. But she was so happy and just having a great time. So you know what? It's all puppy love here in the here in the Milham household, I guess. That's gonna be a monster. Yeah, yes. I was like, you're, you're gonna be living with a linebacker for the next like year, <laughs> just ran it ready to just put you put you down on your knees. You know what? I will always take a good old guard dog around here. Yeah, that'll be but, not much best than that. I don't think. Oh, I know. <laughs> right? It's gonna be looking through the peephole on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Running security around here. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Well, we, we got a big old window out the front door, so you're just going to be walking up to the front door. It's just you're just going to see like shoulders up of a of a dog. <laughs> That's good enough for me. I'm not getting in that house. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? I I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's not very scary propositions right now for the Royals. Things are kind of going a little a little bit more smoother. Um, June is coming to a close. And really, the team has had a decent month overall, you know, 10 and 12 on the month, nearly 500, which is not a which is much better than the team could be saying from May and April. Um, But we're still on this homestand with athletics right now. And Josh, I got to I got to ask you. So the big news from this week was the Salvi injury, right? Mm. Um, you know, he, he went under the knife, posted an update photo. He looks in good spirits and stuff, but there's kind of varying recovery windows for him. You know, leadership is saying he'll be back before the, the end of the year, but common sense is saying a whole nother thing. Um, Josh, what are you thinking? Are we going to see Salvador Perez behind the dish again in 2022? 
if we've learned anything about Salvador Perez is he's going to hit the front side of any time window as far as injuries go, whether uh, whether we think it's healthy or the right decision or not, or the training crew is the same direction. Like, who knows? Who knows? But I would expect him to be at the front end of any injury window uh, that is ever given, any injury timetable. Um, it does seem like, I mean, I, I'm no – I'm no doctor, but it seems like this thumb injury thing could have been maybe prevented or at least uh, staved off the severity up by not rushing him back and not letting him kind of force his way back in there. That may or may not be the case. I don't know, but it just kind of smells like that. Um, But in the end, I I mean, I would expect him to be at the uh, front end of any injury timetable at this point. Okay. All right. Hey, Lucas, so we were talking before about, you know, Russian Salvi back from injury and things like that, and things were looking pretty bleak there for a while. But then he did go on an absolute tear there for a while before I'd I I don't think pun intended. Like did <laughs> did he did he tear the the thing in his thumb? Sorry. That's awful. Anyways, he was doing very well before surgery. So Lucas, like, do you think I, I don't even know? I don't even know how to put this. Like, do, do you think it would be worth Salvi coming back from that? Because we've seen what happens when he rushes, quote unquote, rushes back. Do you think it's worth it? I'm feeling your vibe, so I got you. Um, yeah, I think, I think what we're seeing honestly was him rushing back and then having to cope with probably pain or whatever was going on and having to adapt with it and wanting to play. Uh, I'm sure as time got going and when he started to catch fire, he probably either was really adapted to the pain or had overcome what really was kind of, he was dealing with. And then um, with injuries, when you don't fully let them heal, obviously there's a good chance it's either going to pop back up in the same severity or worse. And that's probably what happened. So um, do I think he's going to come back? Uh, we'll see how the stretch, uh, I would say, of July kind of goes. I think if uh, if they do bring him back, um, it'll be because he wants to come back and it may be for whatever, you know, he's wanting to do. But I think in, in a realistic situation, um, let some of your younger guys maybe get an opportunity. And, uh, you know, we always have that DH spot. And I think probably by the time he comes back, you know, there's going to be uh, – it's going to be a different roster would be my guess. So – um, I think that's probably the, the route I would go, but we've, we have no idea what this front office is doing. So who knows? <laughs> is, isn't that the truth, man? I don't think anyone except for the front office knows what this front office is going to do. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I do have to say that's the perfect segue into one of the questions I was going to ask uh, Lucas and Josh is if you were, let's just push Dayton Moore and JJ and even John Sherman to the side uh, for for two days, in that two day span, what is the one move you would make sure happened? Josh, I'm going to let you go first on this. Um, really, I, I was kind of giving this a thought before before the show, and it really came down to trading Mitt, Whit Merrifield. Um, and that's not necessarily a uh, to see what we get back for him. I think they'll get plenty for him, but it's not going to be anything substantial. Uh, might get two or three lottery tickets is, is kind of what I would uh, expect at this point. But it'd be more for Whit Merrifield. I mean, he's given this team, he's been the face of the franchise since 2016 when all those dudes left. Um, he's signed his extension 
regardless of what his pay situation was going to be. He did choose to stay here and make this his guy, his place. He said two or three seasons ago, how much he hated losing, how much he losing sucked. He was tired of it, but that was more to like fire up the team. And now it, I mean, you hear all about all the frustrations in the locker room and stuff. It kind of can't help, but think that what Merrifield deserves better in this situation. So I, I, if I were the, the GM or the front office manager, of this team for two days, I would start fielding every offer I could start levering, leveraging them all against each other to try to get the best package, but it's really to, uh, to get Whit Merrifield on the contender. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a little weird to think about the fact that him and Salvador Perez are the longest tenured Royals right now, but Merrifield never saw action in, in the world series, season so it, yeah. it is it is very disappointing um you know for a guy that i think is going to go down with a favorable time in kansas city it has it hasn't always been great but he's been a very much a fan favorite mm-hmm. uh lucas if you got those two days what are you doing man i'm gonna be a little i try to be a little specific people might blast me for this but this is also a dream and i'm in position to make that dream happen so <laughs> uh i am gonna double down on the whip merrifield but i'm gonna package him with andrew benatendi and i'm gonna try to send him to the st louis cardinals in return Ooh. i would like to hopefully get nolan gorman and maybe pluck a few from their minors now is that a possibility uh he's a pretty pretty good baseball player and he's gonna be a stud uh, the only thing is, is they've been kind of working him in at second a little bit because obviously they have Arenado, um, and then they also have Jordan Walker coming up yep. too. Uh, so I think that it, there could be some intrigue. Possibly, uh, we're looking at maybe a five percent, but that would be kind of like a, a a trade I would be wanting to make. You know, I think our third base position is outside of Bobby Wood Jr. when he shifts over there has been, you know, it is what it is. So. Um, that's where I would look, but I also, I would like to get a starting pitcher. I think like a true starting pitcher that we know is going to be kind of established and can do some things if we're going to make that type of move. So you want Nolan Gorman and Adam Wainwright. That'd be pretty sick. I mean, that would be cool to, <laughs> to have Adam Wainwright, uh, against, uh, you know, the Cardinals. I just don't know if he'll ever leave, man. I no, mean, he's probably uh, retired yeah. and he'll, he'll, he'll hang it up, but, uh, I mean, they're on a, on a side note, I know this is a Royals podcast, but man, are they doing it right with going out? I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wainwright hangs it up. Obviously, Molina's looking at the end and Pujols. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. And if it's, they it's could. weird that you kind of call your shot on that because I was talking to my brother a little bit this week. We were looking at potential. I mean, that was the kind of when the wit news broke that, you know, maybe they're shopping a little bit more seriously this year. We started looking at third base candidates, and the one place that we really found a, a great fit was in St. Louis for. Yeah we were kind of looking at Walker dealing like wit and maybe like Barlow or Stallman or one of these relievers that we could potentially give up um, and maybe get like a Jordan Walker. I, I'd be shocked if it was Nolan Gorman. Cause I feel yeah. like you know, if he's already major league ready, he's up there, he's already hitting ding dongs. Um, so he's a monster, absolute yeah. monster. So it, it, maybe Jordan Walker is maybe a little bit um, yeah. likelier, but it might cost a little bit more too, but it's, it's interesting that you would do bring that up because we were looking at that earlier. Yeah. Well, you know what, let's, let, let's follow this rabbit hole a little bit more because I, so I was thinking earlier on today about like who are really the Royals rivals in baseball. You know, the, the Chiefs very much have like set rivals and that, you know, that's part of football. But with baseball, I think the rivalry is a little bit more fluid. 
And fans do kind of think, you know, the I-70 series that the Cardinals are the Royals' biggest rival. But for the most part, I feel like the Royals fan base actually has pretty solid respect for St. Louis and and what they do. Um, <laughs> Lucas, I'm, I'm seeing you over there chuckling right now. I, I do have to ask, like, do, do you think that's the case or am I off my rocker here? I, I still think that. I agree. I think with when it comes to baseball trades, though, I think like a deal is if it's worth it, they're going to make the deal happen. Um, where football, I, I could see like the Chiefs aren't going to make a trade with the Raiders. Like if they do, like it's just not going to happen. So I think with baseball, like if it's a business decision and it makes sense, then they would be more likely to execute. I do have to agree, though. Like I, I think like the rivalry has died down, but I still think it exists to a certain level. Like, I despise the Cardinals, but I, I respect the Cardinals because I think how they've kind of managed themselves as a, as a organization where they have the ability to compete no matter what. Um, I think that's, what's, what's good. And they've always had a decent, like, it seems like they always have a decent farm system. Like they've held on to Gorman, even though they had Aaron, right. We just talked about Jordan Walker and he's still within the organization. Um, Starting pitching for them has kind of been a, a 50, 50 coin flip, but um, yeah, I, I just, I do have respect for them, but you know, I looking at it right now, I have the, the entire, uh, 85 world series sitting over there in a, in a box that I can watch on DVDs. And, uh, that's <laughs> brings back memories. Well, not memories for me, obviously I wasn't born yet, but I get to, to live those memories. Okay. All right. Josh, what, what do you think? Are the Cardinals, the Royals biggest rival right now? I want to so much go into just such a hyperbolic yell fest of how much i hate the cardinals it sickens me that i that i have to kind of let that die down uh no i mean there's plenty of hate going on for the st louis cardinals within my heart and i don't necessarily think that that's all baseball i obviously do have a respect for that organization because it's undeniable like they're just good they're good at they're a good organization period that's it um the royals uh, have not been a great organization. So we're still kind of looking up and I feel like a rivalry is if it, if it's one-sided, it better be a damn deep rivalry. Like even when the Yankees and Red Sox light, like when one of them's bad, it's just not doing the same. It's not pulling the same numbers as it was when both teams were in it. So I feel like in order for there to actually call it a rivalry, it's gross to say the Royals have to pull their weight and being competitive. My biggest rivalry at this point, I think, is the White Sox. And okay. yes, there is like the White Sox are good. The Royals are bad. That's a thing. But there's been some natural conflicts when both teams were good, when both teams were bad. Um, there's always the Keller and Tim Anderson beef that's always very strange, but it was always at the back of your mind whenever they're going, they're facing each other. So I think the White Sox are the bigger rivalry between uh, between the Royals and the Cardinals and the White Sox. I think it's the White Sox and we've seen them swing deals. I mean, even it's kind of different in baseball as it is against like the Chiefs and Raiders. I think mm -hmm. they're not afraid to do deals within the division. If it's the best deal, you know, it is what it is. It's cut and dry. It seems like, so it seems more likely that, that there would be some deals between the Royals and the White Sox as a rivalry than it would be the Chiefs and the Raiders, but who knows? I mean, the White Sox are, you know, who knows what they are right now. Um, it's kind of looking more like you know, the Guardians and the Twins anyways, but, um, but yeah, there's still plenty. It seems like there's still plenty of deals to be had between any team. Hey, Jacob, let me ask you a question. Oh, what would you consider um, 
how, how I guess how much of a rivalry would you consider like the Houston Astros? So I think that question has to be asked pre and post trash can scandal. <laughs> Because I I think the Astros are like anyone's quote unquote rival after the trash can, yeah. Um, but before then, I I thought they were going to be a huge rival for the yeah. Royals. You know that that postseason series in route to the World Series that was oh my gosh! Like I I could go back and rewatch that and it would still have the same value to me. Um, but both teams were very much like coming from a similar place and rising to a new height, you know, the Astros were one of like one of baseball's worst teams in history and they rose to very much a contender and they, a quote unquote world series championship. <laughs> I, that will always have an asterisk for, for me personally. Um, I, I thought it was going to be much more of a rivalry, but it's not really right now. And is it is does it have to be somewhat of exclusive exclusivity on on rivalries? Like, if they're if everybody hates them, you don't get to claim a rivalry with that team, right? Well, I I guess where I was going with it is because man, I just remember like how the playoffs were, and that's the only reason why I just despise Carlos Correa. Like, I just oh, do yeah. not like Carlos Correa, and it it probably really wouldn't even have had anything to do with it. But it's just kind of how that whole playoff run went and everything, 100%. and then kind of how he acted when he hit free agency too. And so I think that's that plus obviously then the trash can stuff and all that, if that wouldn't even happen, I still think I would have just not liked the Astros because of that run we had. So I just figured I'd ask and see what you guys thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I do have to say, I read a, I got done reading a book called Astro ball. It was mm. actually, it links the Cardinals and the Astros together because it was about members of the Cardinals front office yeah. going down to Houston and rebuilding um, that team in kind of a Moneyball esque manner. And they, they were talking about the impact that Carlos Beltran had on the, on the hitting lineup and, listening to that book from what we know now, it, it made me think, you know, where did Carlos Beltran learn about hitting trash cans? Like was, was that a Kansas city thing? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we, we, we would have seen more success if that was the case. Right. I mean, his experience with hitting trash cans is probably coming off the field in frustration and hitting the trash can and, you know, <laughs> sending signals to the, to the batter what's coming. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hey, speaking of frustrations, um, look, I think we're all kind of a little frustrated with Isbell after this this weekend's ball games. No, Lucas, you're not. You sure? I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Diehard. Do I need to go get my autograph? <laughs> yes. Why, why don't you go get your autograph real fast, and we'll let, and we'll hear talk about stuff on the field, huh? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Look, is Isbell? He he caught some ire. Made he had a rough game against the athletics. There ain't no denying, but we talk about it all the time. That's why there's 162 games in a season, man. Like you're you're just gonna have rough games. There's nothing about it. But looking at his 2022 as a whole, I think we can all agree we're we were very high on Isbell and his everyday center field prospects at one time during this season. Now. I'm a little bit more shaky about it. 
Um, I don't think he's been getting it done at the plate as often, but I don't think he's been given a fair shake either. Um, Josh, I, I do want to ask, like, what do you think of his lackluster performance so far? Yeah. I mean, it's basically, I'm feel the same way. Like uh, they said coming into the year that they were okay with where Kyle Isbell was as in his development as like, uh, he doesn't need everyday reps to still be productive. And I, I questioned it at the time. I mean, he's what, 25 years old. Is that, is that where he is? Let me look that up real quick. Uh, 25. Yeah. Just turned 25, three months ago. So I just don't know of any 25-year-old player that is just immediately okay, like stepping into one of the hardest situations, being a pinch hitter, a pinch runner, coming off two days of rest and sticking in there in an important situation, or just like getting stuck in a lineup every third day or something. No, no 25-year-old baseball player is good enough to do that. So that made me question, like, how do they really see his ceiling? And so I started getting red flags at that point. Um, I still love Kyle Isbell. I do. Kevin O'Brien wrote a great piece. Uh, go find it on Twitter. Uh, Royals reporter, I believe. Right. Um, he wrote a great piece on Kyle Isbell and what he's done and kind of kind of recapping what he's done the last month. It's been very, uh, very disappointing, like you said. But um, he did a great kind of great job kind of breaking down like what what needs to happen is a reset. He needs to be sent back down to Omaha to get everyday plate appearances and kind of fix whatever's ailing him at this point. So I, I completely agree with that at this point. Get him some everyday at-bats. It doesn't seem like they're interested in doing that anymore for, for whatever reason, whether they think that he doesn't need them to be productive or, or whatever. I, he, something clearly needs to change, but that doesn't change my love. I'm with Lucas. I'm still very much in love with Kyle Isbell. Just, uh, just get, his, get his mechanics down and uh, – he's not walking anymore. Like his walk rate's like at 3% right now. And that was something that he was very good. His play discipline was always very good in the minors. So uh, that's just something I, it's just kind of weird to see. So uh, maybe he's forcing it. I don't know. He, he, I'm on board with sitting him back down at Omaha to get some, uh, get it all figured out though. So Lucas talking about sending him back down to Omaha though. I don't know if you would even, I think him getting those everyday at bats would come at somewhat of a detriment because you do have Blanco there in center field and you have Eaton who's absolutely doing work out there um, in the outfield right now. If Isbell had to push one of those two out of the everyday Omaha lineup, who would you pick? Blanco. No question. Yeah. um, I, I just, I don't think he's quite ready yet. I got to see him at the major league level when they played the diamondbacks. Oh yeah. He looked completely just out of place. And I it's not that he wouldn't be in place at AAA or even uh, in that situation, but I just think, like, he still needs some more. Um, and I think that's probably where who you would push out. I think the way – uh-oh. I think the way Eden – I don't know if you guys can hear me. <laughs> yes, we can. Okay, there we go. Uh, I think the way Eden's playing um, – I think that you got to keep rolling him out there, even though uh, it, it just, his performance has been good. So yeah, that's kind of the route I would go. I think with Isbell too, though, I think it's just kind of unfortunate because we're, we saw it with Oliveris as well. Um, it's just like the inconsistencies of being able to get guys time. Um, I think for me, like the reason, if they knew that they weren't going to compete the way they kind of, 
I, they didn't necessarily say they were going to go for the playoffs this year, but at least we count as, as fans and people who covered them thought they were going to kind of start to turn a chapter and that clearly didn't happen. So if that was the case, then I feel personally, they probably should have re-signed Michael Taylor, Michael A. Taylor. And they, that this would have been an opportunity to kind of give an ISPEL and let those guys start to really rotate through and uh, give them full time. Because I think more you're hurting him. Um, kind of like what Josh said, you're, you're hurting the player more than you are like contributing to his future. Fair enough. The other other side of that is like, what happens if they sell Michael A. Taylor for a a actual thing? uh, This trade deadline, he he's producing at the plate. He's also got a great glove in center field. There's no other productive center fielders on the trade market or in free agency next year. So yep. they could absolutely sell Michael A. Taylor, especially if you bundled it in with another dude. They could actually bring back somebody. And then what are you looking at? Like we're we're, we're praising them for making that contract extension. So I, I'm very curious to see if they a sell them or trade them, trade Michael A. Taylor, what it comes back with, and then like we're talking about what happens to the roster after that. And Jacob, there's one guy that we left out between Eaton. Actually, there's two. Eaton and uh, Blanco. There's also Brewer Hicklin, who was up yeah. with the Major League squad earlier this year. We really like him over at Royals Farm Report. Mm-hmm. I like him just because he's got that, I always call it the video game profile, where he's got super athleticism. He hits ding-dongs all over the place. He strikes out a ton. It just is what it is type of thing. So Brewer Hicklin's in there, and they also signed Roman Quinn, uh, who's been Manning Center Field for Omaha like maybe the last two weeks or so. And I was telling the World of Farm Report guys today that it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they actually sold and traded Michael A. Taylor. It did not mean Michael Isbell becomes the everyday silver center fielder, that they somehow figure out Roman Quinn is the guy that needs to be manning center field in Coffin Stadium. He has the major league experience. He has the speed. He's got a he made a great play in center field and he got <laughs> subsequently hurt afterwards uh, there in Omaha. So I think that is a big time uh, possibility that Roman Quinn is the center fielder if and when they trade Michael A. Taylor. I think this is such a strange spot for us to be in as looking at the Royals because, you know, before the season, there wasn't a whole lot of options in the farm system, in the outfield. It seemed like I'm not, I'm not trying to discount. <laughs> You're right. It, well, there, there wasn't any like standout prospects. You know, it yep. was it was like, yeah, they, they can get the job done. But now you have like Hicklin just today. He hit three RBIs. Yeah. I mean, monster he, three run Jack. Yeah, he had an absolutely great game. So I I really want to see him in in Kaufman. Um, you know, we haven't even said the the first baseman's name down in <laughs> in, in Omaha. This podcast, which one? Which, I'm which very one? surprised. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I think to, to kind of go along with what we're saying too, though, I just feel like, and we've talked about this multiple times, Jacob, it's like that the Royals have put themselves in such a good position with having a diverse farm system that it's almost like they don't know necessarily how they want to go forward with a lot of things. I, at least personally, that's how I feel like, you know, Oliveris is besides his injury, like we saw the potential there. He just needed some time to play. And he's coming, you know, he was kind of struggling a little bit once he came back from the injury in minor leagues. Now he's back up and he's tearing it up again. And I think too, like Isbell, just consistency. If you give the guy consistent at bats and you're not putting him in a tough situation to come in there in clutch moments and you get him consistent at bats, you're going to see him kind of hit that 260, 265, maybe 270 range 
and play good defense and do what he's supposed to do. And I think that that's where I start to have conflicts because it's like you have all these guys, but then you can't just rotate them in all the time because you have to create consistency. Otherwise you're not going to have guys that can go out there and perform on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't matter for major league players. They have to have consistency. So Josh, to kind of wrap things up for if folks wanted to get educated more about the outfield prospects or any prospect in general for the Royals, where could they find that information at? What a, what a lobbed up serve. You just nailed it there, Jacob. I appreciate that. (laughs) Let me see if I can get it, put a good swing on it here. All Um, right. Royals farm report is, uh, is where I'm from. I podcast with the Royals farm report, Alex Duvall, Joel Penfield, and I do a podcast uh, every week over at Kansas city sports network. Um, Usually record Sunday nights or Monday nights. We've had some great, you know, prospect interviews. We've had analyst interviews that were really good. And then otherwise just us three shooting the shit, if you will, um, every week. So it's, we always do a minor league recap of what's gone on um, in the system that week. So it's kind of a good rundown. If you don't, you know, not necessarily keep the tags on that closely, we'll do it for you. We'll tell you what you need to know about these guys. Um, and also go to the website, rosefarmreport.com. Alex does a great job writing as well. Um, and we also have a buddy, Jared Perkins, that is also a very, very good writer um, and doing a lot of great stuff there over at the website. So you can find anything prospect related. It seems like Royals Farm Report is the place to be. I'm not just saying that because I'm biased and work there. Um, but I do believe that, you know, there's no other better resource than royalsfarmreport.com to find prospect status. There we go. Hey, did, I, did I get it? Did I, have, did I put good contact on it? Where was the, I, that I, ball I, I think that's a dinger. You know, that's, okay. the, the, that is a, that is a Salvador Perez dog. I think. Let's just say you don't look like Carlos Santana. <laughs> hey, how dare you? I, I, you got a Carlos Santana guy. Truther here. Don't you dare. Hey, I was too. Don't 100%. Dare. That we could have okay. that debate for a while. I was a Carlos Santana guy forever until like this, uh, this season for sure. I'm still on that hill, baby. I have died and I have resurrected, come back, and I'm still screaming from that hilltop. <laughs> Listeners, please go pull some receipts on on Lucas being a Carlos Santana guy because I know that I know we were disparaging that man at some point this season. I think everybody yeah. was, and he deservingly so. He was not good earlier this year. Very true. But hey, before we wrap things up, Lucas, they they know where to find us on social media at, at, at this point, man. We don't have to say it for the fifteenth time. But I, I just want to say probably the most underrated like baseball writer that I know, Jared Perkins, man, that yeah. guy is putting in work, isn't he? That, uh, that, that Mark, I, I always say his name wrong. Tian. Yeah. Tian. Yeah. That Mark Tian piece that he put together, absolutely immaculate. And the stuff that they're doing over there at the university, um, is, is great. Please go check him out on social media. Um, Josh, wrapping things up. Thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. I think this was a, a good discussion between three of us. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm big, big fan of your guys as well. I've been on the Lucas before, uh, before you guys kind of jumped in. And so this is my first time kind of outside of the uh, airing of grievances episode with you, Jacob, that was my first interaction <laughs> with you, but, uh, but I enjoy your guys' content quite a bit and I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We, we do appreciate that. We'll, we'll have you on again here soon enough. But I'll be anytime. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, go Royals. <laughs>